Ronananian. How can we do $550 worth of service to a 2014 car? The car's a year old and it's got 30,000 miles on it. The Car Doctor. I just want to cover the basics. I'll tell you what I think is wrong with this vehicle. This is the one thing on a Cavalier that everybody misses. You ready? Yeah. It may have a bad heater core. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Tire insanity continues. Tire 101. Hi, I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900 to answer your questions and solve your problems because that's what the Car Doctor is all about. And I think we can fix any car together, and I've been really been doing this 43 years, and there haven't been too many cars I haven't fixed, and I can honestly say on one hand, um, there's probably less than five, and I think four of those were the customer just didn't want to spend any money on it, and I kind of got that. But um, there's not a lot out there that can't be fixed. It just takes time and effort, and how bad is the car cockeyed from the guy that worked on it before me tire insanity just continues and it just boggles my mind we had a 2011 toyota rav4 in the shop this week run flats i think run flats are an interesting concept right you can run the air out of the tire and the tire won't go flat so you can continue to drive the car turns on the tpms light and everybody realizes hey i've got a problem let me get it into the repair shop the problem is though when the vehicle owner continues to drive the car and the tire starts to shred. This was a gray RAV4 or silver. And what's interesting is as the tire started to shred, it was the right rear tire, all the rubber was deposited on the back window and the back deck of the car. So the sides of the car were silver. The back of the car looked black. And the question to me was, If I put air in it, do you think I can drive a little bit longer until you get the tires for the vehicle? Tire insanity. Listen, we got to talk about this. Tires are the single most important piece of equipment on the car. That little contact patch, put put the palm of your hand down on the desktop where you're sitting. That little contact patch, that's it. That's all that's holding you to the road and keeping you from sliding and giving you traction and stability and control can't drive around on flat tires. You can't drive around on a tire just because it holds the vehicle up if it has no air in it. You're putting yourself at peril. You're putting your kids at peril. And I got to tell you, more importantly, you're putting me at peril. And uh, I kind of take a problem with that. And that's a real big issue. So tire insanity, we're going to continue to wage a war on this as this radio show continues, celebrating its 25th year this coming January that you guys got to get a little smarter. we got to church you up some, and that's what the purpose of this radio show is. We want to church you up and help you understand your car and understand the parameters and the pitfalls and the dangers of ignoring warning signs and how you can actually stop them from happening altogether and how you can be preemptive and maintain the car properly. Welcome to the car doctor. I'm not going to make any other speeches. I don't think you want to hear a couple speeches. No, Tony says no speeches. Okay, then you know what we're going to do? Let's kick open the garage doors. Let's get bang, zoom right into it. Let's go over to line two, talk to John, 2011 Subaru Forester. Oh, boy. (sighs) Hope John wasn't listening the last hour. You know, John, there's an issue with Subarus. Do you know what it is? No. 
A lot of times they make Volkswagens look good. So, oh my God! Don't tell me that. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. I you know, and I know what's wrong with this car. And you're not going to like the answer, but go ahead. Tell me the story, and then I'll tell you the solution, and then we'll move well, on at, to the next page. 33,000 miles, I brought it in for an oil change. I told him about the extended crank problem. And it doesn't happen all the time. Maybe 30 40% of the time, the car will take oh, 8 to 12 cranks to turn over. Most of the time, it'll turn over right away. It always starts, okay? Um, I brought it in for an oil change. I told him about the problem. And on the printout, they put tech performed ECM upgrade for extended crank. So I'm, I guess it's something to do with the computer. I don't know. But it's still doing it. Okay. And what's their position at this point? Oh, they, they told me it was a, was it, uh, wasn't anything to be worried about. as sort of normal. Oh, so in other words, if the car doesn't start, that's not important. Well, it always starts. But it just takes a little bit longer. It takes a little bit longer, 30 40% of the time, maybe eight, a dozen cranks. Okay. Normally, it, it'll crank over like on the, the second crank. Right. It'll turn over. Right. Yep. Uh, you got your pencil handy? I do. Okay, John. I want you to go get your hands on Subaru Bulletin 11-130-13R as in Ron. All right. Mm-hmm. The title of this bulletin starts something out like, if I remember right, difficulty starting rough idle, and then it talks about problems with cam sensor, crank sensor, misfires, and all sorts of other related issues. Mm-hmm. And what this bulletin clearly references is problems with the crank and or the cam position sensors and how they correlate to each other as well as the air gap that exists between the sensor and the component that it is monitoring. Mm-hmm. And it creates this condition that you're talking about. It's intermittent. It's at random. Subaru's had the Bulletin out there. If I'm not mistaken, the Bulletin's been out there about a year and a half. It's not, a, it's not an uncommon fault. And part of the solution and part of the reason why I don't see a lot of these cars getting fixed is it requires the technician to have access to a four-channel lab scope because they want him to monitor and look at the crank sensor and its relationship to the two cam position sensors. And a lot of the dealerships, I only know of one dealership, I know of two. Uh, neither one of them is a Subaru dealer, but I know of two non-Subaru dealers that when I ask them, do you have a four-channel lab scope, they give me the right answer and they say yes. So mm-hmm. lab scopes are not a common thing in dealerships from what I'm seeing, at least not in this part of the country. But it's becoming an essential tool. It actually is. I, I Two years ago, I would have said no. But in the last couple of years, I'm seeing the need for lab scopes again. And um, it's going to become a predominant force in the repair process going yeah. forward. So if if they have access to that, they'll use it. If they don't, they'll just kind of keep blowing you off until you go buy another car or, <laughs> or, or another dealer. If I, if, what happens if I don't get it fixed? What's the eventual outcome? Well, sooner or later, it'll probably turn on a check engine light because things go far enough out of time, although there's no documented cases of that happening. But I have seen problems like this develop into that. The, mm-hmm. base, the basic problem is, um, what did you own before this? What kind, of, what kind of cars have you owned in the last 10 years, John? I, I had a Subaru Forester before this. Okay. And, um, and it, it ended up, at the end, I gave it to my son, and at the end, it ended up a real piece of junk. Right. Right. Uh, you know, this problem could best be described if you've ever had a General Motors product or had a friend that had a GM product, uh, 2000, 2001, two, something from that vintage where the air gap between the ABS wheel speed sensor increased because of rust. 
every once in a while the vehicle would have a false ABS event because it didn't read the signal properly. That's yeah. bas- that's basically what's going on here. The crank sensor is not reading the signal properly, and it's changing its relationship to the cam sensors, and it's causing the engine to really not fire evenly or to start as it's correctly indexed to start. And that's mm-hmm. what the, that's what the lab scope shows. It'll show the relationship of when the cam sensor triggers to the crank sensor and whether or not the engine's in the proper position. Yeah. So, I, I mean, listen, there's a lot of other things it can be. But for my money, when I see a bulletin like 11-130-13, uh, that's the first thing I've got to address because mm-hmm. to start chasing everything else. One thing I can tell you about cars in the last 25 years, there is a huge degree of consistency to them. When the computer makes a mistake when it designs this part of the car, it puts it into each and every part of that particular mm-hmm. model run. That's why technical bulletins are so gosh yeah. darn important. All right, so, sir? So what would you do at this point? Um, how much do you love the car? Yeah, it's a nice car. I like the car. But there's always a but. Oh, there's always a but. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wish it was a little more powerful, right. for one thing. So listen, let's do it like this. Um, let's, let's, let's answer the questions from, from, a, from a philosophical point of view. If John had to go out to buy another car, would it break the bank? No. Okay. So let's give the dealer one last try. Let's make it a game, all right? Let's have a little fun with this. Let's find out how stupid they really are, all mm-hmm. right? Do they have a lab scope? Do they know about this bulletin? If they look at you like a deer in the headlight, guess what? They're not trained on their product. Go buy something else. At least you know not what to buy. Look at the great gift you got. You found We're going to ask them for a, if they have a lab scope. Right. You know, do they, are they aware of this bulletin? My questions would be, hey, are you guys aware of this bulletin, and do you have the ability to perform it, mm-hmm. all right? And first thing you need to do is get a, get your hands on that bulletin, read it so that you understand what they're asking, and yeah. then quiz them on it. And you'll see what sort of answers you get. And if you get that pushback, then you know that that's not the thing for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's a good vehicle out there, Ron? Well, that's a different conversation. Something like yeah, the Subaru? Yeah. Something like the Subaru, I'm going to tell you, go take a look at a Ford Escape. Yeah. I think Ford's hot right now. I, I really do. As a matter of Sonata? Uh, Hyundai Sonata. Hyundai's a good car too. Here's yeah, the here's bought a fourteen Sonata. Loves it. Here's the other question you got to look at, John. Who's going to work on it? Do you have an independent repair shop that you like, or have you always been a dealer guy? I usually dealer. Okay, then you've got to buy the dealer first, and that's the most important. Because here's yeah. a case where you like the Subaru, yeah, and the dealer didn't meet the expectations. The dealer didn't meet the level of what you're supposed to, you know, re- require. Yeah. Listen, they're the dealer. They've got to be able to fix this thing. If they can't. Then they're a bad dealer. It's as simple yeah, as that. Yeah. So I, I know a lot of guys in dealers. I know a lot of good dealers. I know a lot of bad dealers. Repair shops are only as good as the people in those uniforms. Yeah. And well, you I'm going to ask them about, about the bulletin and if they have a lab scope. Yep. And are they are they capable and able to fix this? Of course they are. So, well, maybe. <laughs> that, that's maybe. what they'll say. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, John, let me know how you make out. Send me yeah. an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. I'd love to chat about this, sir. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. You take good care. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back. Don't go away. Find my 409, my 409. Hey, 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 welcome back.
back. We're on an Indian the car doctor. Boy, did we ever build cars like 409? Sometimes I think I dreamt it. And I woke up, and here I am in 2015 going, okay, let's see, computer terminal reflash up the module B to, and you go, wow, was it really that simple? I just wonder. Let's get over and talk to David in Yoakum, Texas, 2009 Jeep Wrangler, and some questions about trans service. David, how can I help you? Welcome to the car, doctor, sir. Hello, Ron. Thank yes, you sir. for taking my call. You're welcome. What can I do for uh, you? I have a... I have a 2009 Jeep Wrangler Unlimited X with the 3.8 and the 42 RLE. I bought it used last year, and unfortunately, not long after I got it, I had to have the transmission rebuilt. And I'm a rural mail carrier and um, use this on my route, so I'm averaging around 3,000 miles a month. Okay. So my 30,000-mile warranty was out before even one year, and I called the shop that did the rebuild, and... Uh, Asked them, well, what should I do for the best maintenance? And all they offered was the standard 30,000-mile fluid and filter change, which to me isn't near enough considering the severe duty. Right. Yeah, I I, I agree with you, David, because the number one killer of transmissions is heat. And mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like you're you're sort of in the proving grounds. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to tell you that, number one, uh, if you haven't done so already, maybe you want to add an auxiliary trans cooler uh, to yes, that vehicle. It has, it has the cooler on it. Right. Now, is that the factory cooler, or did you add an auxiliary cooler? Uh, it's it's running both. It has okay. an auxiliary right. cooler added to it. And, and just for giggles, not that you can do anything about it if it does get too hot, but it might pay to actually have a trans temp gauge installed just, just mm-hmm. to monitor that so that you can see, you know, where does it run hot and when does it run hot. And, um, you know, how maybe you can combat that. But if it were my money, I would be doing a complete fluid exchange filter, drop the pan, the whole nine yards every 30,000 miles. At least at least then, because you were you said you're a rural delivery vehicle, uh, you know, to pull the pan down every 30,000 miles, you're not out in the middle of nowhere. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can depend on the transmission. At least you know every 30, what you look and see what's inside the pan. Is it clean? Do you see any signs of something coming apart? And, you know, you can make a decision from there. But I think to just do fluid in a vehicle that's so severely heated or overheated at that point, I think it's mm-hmm. foolish because I think you're just going to end up replacing the transmission in short order. You know, heat heat's the number one killer of trans fluid. Yes. Um, something I've found is a lot of shops, they want to do the, the fluid flush, but they don't want to do the the filter, which I think that's kind of foolish. Yeah, and I've seen that, and I don't understand that. You know, uh, maybe it's because, speaking in terms of dollars and cents, it's it's less profitable. A lot of shops think to pull the pan and change the filter, and people won't pay them for it. I don't know why. I'll tell you, hey, David, it's an hour to pull the pan and change the filter, and David's going to go, yeah, go ahead. That's what I want to do, and then we'll do yeah. the fluid exchange on top of it. Um, you know, sometimes it is... It's not necessary, but the problem is you don't know if there's anything in the filter, if the filter is going to show you anything or teach you anything about the condition of that trans until you pull it out. So, yeah, well, you know, it doesn't it doesn't make sense not to, especially, again, you're looking for the best you can possibly give it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I do a, as much with my own work as I can, and I was thinking, well, maybe I could just do the, the fluid, I mean, the, a fluid and filter change, and then just take it somewhere and have them do the flush. Would that be... Sure, why not? Advisable? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why not? You know, the the, oh. the the most you're going to do is sacrifice, you know, five to six quarts of fluid, which you're going to mm-hmm. end up having to sacrifice anyway, because if you did a pan drop in a shop, the pan has to get emptied, 
the filter gets changed, the pan gets cleaned, the filter gets put back up. Is this this is a forty two? Is this got the little filter inside along with the other filter? Is this got the separate screw on filter inside the filter inside the trans? Do you know? Um, I have no idea. Okay, um, there might be two filters in this trans, which makes the case for changing it. You know, doubly as important in my mind. But regardless, you would still have to go through that procedure, put fluid in it, and then hook up a machine to do a fluid exchange. Uh, you know, the the worst that happens is, guess what? You're going to spend money to take care of a car, and that's just part of the process. You know, that's as much as part of the business as Band-Aids and, uh, you know, buying new tools every once in a while. It just happens. Now, the the one I'm familiar with around here is called the BG Flush, and they actually put a chemical in there and let you drive it for a while, and then they flush it. Or... Yeah, and BG is making their money on chemicals. It's it's really funny. I'll I'll tell you when my daughter purchased her Escape, the dealer she purchased it from ended up, and I guess it's because it's it's the formality of it, and they've all got these preset maintenance programs. You know, it's 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 mass production of maintenance, as I call it. And as I yeah. was reading through the brochure, it was BG this, BG that, and you know I'm aware of BG. Uh, you know I've never used them over the years, and they're available to me in this area because I think. I think to a degree it's overkill, and no one's ever proven to me that it's an absolute necessity. You know, to me it's common sense. It's it's a, it's a bottle of fuel system cleaner at least once, if not twice a year. It's regular oil changes. It's fluid maintenance. And frankly, if I have to run a chemical through a transmission, I'll talk specifically about this. If I've got to run a fluid through a trans to clean out varnish deposits, chances are the trans has other problems that I may stir up a hornet's nest or I may not, and all I'm really doing is being a little tougher on the internal components of the trans when I don't need to. I think if you do regular fluid services and just do a, a straight fluid exchange, you're going to find that that transmission will last just as long uh, as it would with a chemical type of a flush. Oh, that's what I was wondering, if I should perhaps seek out a place that does not put a extra chemical in there and just simply exchanges the fluid. Right. I've been doing fluid exchanges at the shop 15 years, never used a chemical, Never lost a trans. You know, we've had nothing but positives as a result of the way we're doing it. So um, I think you'll be just fine. Uh, keep in mind, David, before I let you go, heat's the culprit. You just got to find ways to combat the heat. And uh, that's what's going to kill the fluid long or short term. All right, sir? I'm here if you need me. You give me a call. You let me know how you make out. And if you have any other questions, send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. Hey, 855-560-9900. Real quick, I'll sneak it in. Labor Day weekend, if you're in the tri-state area, Mawa Sheridan, the car doctor, will be there. We're back right after this. Car Doctor kind of rolling along this hour, interview free, taking your calls and loving every minute of it. Let's get over and talk to Bill, a return Car Doctor caller for so many years. I've always enjoyed talking to Bill, Brighton, Michigan. Bill, how are you today? I'm fine, Ron, and thanks for taking the call. You're welcome. Uh, What's 2010 going on? Impella, 31,000 miles, shooting me at code P0449, evaporative emissions. Yep, small leak. Uh, what yeah, do, looking do, for diagnostic suggestions, but after listening to your opening on the first hour, I'm a little concerned. Mm, what um, what sort of scan tools do you have access to, Bill? I've just got access to a Tech Two. I do not have a smoke machine. In the ah, that's okay. A, a Tech Two, a Tech Two can actually solve a lot of problems here. Evaporative emissions leak. 
Um, just for everyone else's benefit, Bill, I think you know this. I'm sure you know this. Uh, the idea here, folks, is that a fuel system cannot vent fumes to the atmosphere. So if you took a gas can, if you took a five-gallon gas can, put a couple of gallons of fuel in it, stuck it in the middle of the parking lot, sealed it up tight so no fumes could vent to the atmosphere, well, I'm not saying when, and I don't know how I could time this, but somewhere along the way the tank's going to bulge and spring a leak. It's going to become a problem. So automobiles are the same way. We've got to keep the fumes in the system and not vent them to the atmosphere, but we've got to allow the ability to vent them safely or control it and run them through the engine so that the fumes are you know, used up in that sense of the word. So the reason evaporative emission code set is because at the wrong moment, when they're not supposed to leak, the fuel system leaks fumes, such as the case with Bill here. Uh, if you look on that Tech 2 bill, there should be a service bay test under engine PCM special functions. You should okay. be able to go in and do a service bay test for the evaporative emission system. Did, do okay. you, have you looked to see if it has that? No, I have not. Okay. Um, it, it's a little fussy. It will be particular in how it does it. And if I'm not mistaken, it has to be at operating temperature, and they give you some specifics on you've got to do this, this, and this. And I've learned with a tech, too, when they say set the parking brake, I set the parking brake, even though I'm thinking, you know, there, there's one test in a tech, too, where it says set the parking brake, and you're thinking, well, the car's in park. I'm not going to be neurotic like the engineer wants me to be, but actually it won't run the test unless the parking brake is set because it sees input from the switch. So, you know, you've got to follow the Tech 2 instructions exactly. And then you will find uh, that that service bay test, if it meets the parameters, it'll go through and it will actually evaluate the system at that moment. All right. Um, you can also go and look um, in the instrument panel fuse block. There's going okay. to be a fuse uh, a canister fuse. It's for the canister vent solenoid. Make sure that okay. that has battery power all the time. Okay. Then the other thing you can do, because you have a Tech 2, is go into special functions. You'll see EVAP vent solenoid control. Okay. Listen to the vent solenoid. Does it click when you when you turn it on and off? It should click. Now, just because it clicks doesn't mean it physically moves. It just means it clicks. So, you know, if you could kind of have it in your hand and you're looking at it, click, do you see the flapper go? Click, do you see it come back? Okay. Um, I can tell you if I was going to take an educated guess, Bill, it's a bad vent solenoid. Very, you know, very it's common. funny you should mention that because I did price that out. Now, that's behind the gas tank door. If right, I'm correct. correct. It's, 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 you know, attached to the back side of the canister. You know how I was taught? to do evap leaks and pretty smart instructor way back in the day and it still rings true today when we hook up a smoke machine the first thing we do is we hook up a smoke machine turn it on we put smoke in the system and we watch for the smoke we, we go to the smoke that's the vent we close it we either close it with our thumb or we put a plug in it and then we look to see is the system sealed if the system is sealed at that moment we have no leaks and then we start to go through and we look at the, you know, the gas cap and we'll take the cap off to smoke hit us in the face. And sometimes we have to blow smoke down the tube to, to test it that way. But, you know, they all work the same. All the EVAP systems work basically the same. The, the one thing I'm going to caution you on that I'm seeing a little bit of lately, and not just on Impalas, just on cars in general, depending upon how a smoke machine tests it, sometimes it bypasses the purge solenoid. That purge solenoid should not pass anything when it's not powered up. 
So oh, okay. if that purge solenoid, the the end at the engine that actually draws fumes in, if that purge solenoid has any sort of a leak in it, that'll cause all sorts of evap leak faults as well. So always okay, consider I, that. I will check that. Ron, are you aware they have a, a cruise going on here with forty thousand classic cars along Woodward Avenue? Yeah, the Woodward Ave cruise. Yep. Yeah. yeah so it's absolutely crazy. A million yeah. and a half people. Are there yeah, I, I, I'm sure. I you know, and as much as I like cruising. That's probably a little more than what I could handle because I'm I'm not a crowd kind of a guy. Yeah, and um, that's why I'm home today. You, it's more of a parking lot than it is a cruise. Yeah, and that's you know our, our my idea of a cruise. We're going to be um, matter of fact, uh, we're going to be this Labor Day weekend, September fifth. Uh, the gang and I we just closed the deal this morning. We were just able to get confirmation. We're going to be in Mawa, New Jersey, at the Sheridan Crossroads, Dead Man's Curve, Dead Man's Curve USA dot com. I believe is the website. We're going to be over there, a thousand hot rods, and do the radio show live from that. So you can sit back in your easy chair on Labor Day, September fifth weekend, and uh, you can hear the show from that. We'll get some pictures up on Facebook and uh, do the whole deal like that. Bill, always a pleasure, sir. And if you have any questions, any problems, by all means, you know how to get a hold of me, Ron at CarDoctorShow dot com, and uh, we can continue the conversation there. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. We're on Indy and the Car Doctor. I'm going to do the last 15 minutes of the show standing up, see if that changes things. Maybe I can't diagnose as well. Maybe I'll diagnose better. We'll see. Let's get over and talk to Donna in Harrisonburg, Virginia. 1992 Mazda Miata and an airbag problem. Donna, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Hi. Thank you very much. You're welcome. What's going on? Well, um, for the last few years, I've had this blinking light. I don't like the way this sounds. And... I take it in, get it inspected, and it happens to pass. I mean, and um, so I asked him about it, and he said, well, if it doesn't come on when I do the inspection, we're good. Well, last year it came on, Uh and he couldn't pass it. Right. So it was going to be a couple thousand dollars, and Well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. What was going to be a couple thousand dollars? Um, to replace all of the like he like the guy, and I really trust him. I think he's a good mechanic, and he's done a lot of work on my car, and he has actually replaced the whole airbag systems in a couple of other Miatas. Right. And that's what he was planning on doing. He's, I think he estimated like 1700 But wait a minute, like wait a minute, wait a minute. Do we know what fault code's being set because of the light? Um, it's okay yes, if but, we do. But I don't know if I know it, but he knew it. Right, so he's, he, he scanned it. He's plugged in a scan tool and he's yes. diagnosed it. Yes, uh-huh. Okay. Now, my my problem with all of this is... It's very rare when a fault code says change everything. 
Right. So well, he that was his like upper estimate. He didn't know if he'd have to. Right. Well, but but you know, you know, plugging in a scan tool and getting a a, a fault code ten, for example, on a ninety two Miata is a common failure. That tells you it's an airbag control module. Getting that fault code doesn't necessarily mean that it's the module. It can be a problem with power. It can be a problem with ground. But there's not a lot of connection that leads me to, well, maybe I've got to change everything. That's sort of the, you know, waving the arms and, you know, covering your, your backside just in case, but not really diagnosing the problem. You know, okay. I, I would really be concerned that, well, you know, gee, Don, I scanned it, and it's a code 10, and it's an ABS control module circuit fault. If you read any fault code, very few of them say, here's the code, change this part. It's, here's the code, test the circuit. And that's really okay. that's really what needs to be done. Now, if this is an older car, uh, and it is, obviously, it's 23 years old, 24 years old, and it's got rust issues, it's got connection issues, it's got wiring harnesses that are old and brittle. There's a lot of things that can happen here. If you and I were having an, uh, a conversation o- over a couple of soda pops and just saying, hey, Ron, what's the most common thing that goes bad? AB, uh, airbag control modules on these cars, hands down, those and clock springs. But, you know, you'll get codes that indicate and go into that direction. But, you know, gee, you need one of everything. Eh, we're using a shotgun. Well, to, we're using a shotgun to fix the car. We're just throwing right. everything at it. I decided to let him look at it. Okay. And... He didn't charge me hardly anything because when he was done, it still did the same thing. Right. And here's what he did. He checked the SRS operation. He repaired the airbag computer. He sent it off and had it redone. Right. He put in a used sensor, and he put in a used airbag. Okay. Well, and still and it still the has the problem. Code. Right. Mm-hmm. Still has the problem. So um, he said, maybe you should try Mazda. Well, I called Mazda, and they didn't seem like they were thrilled. So I called another. I called a local dealer, and so then I called dealer in D.C., and they said they would take a look at it, but they all want to charge me $99. Sounds, reason- sounds reasonable to me. Okay. And, and, and here's why, okay? Because whatever the original problem was, this car now has the potential to have as many additional problems as the number of used parts that this fella put in. Oh, great. Right? I mean, listen, you ever you ever, you ever go down to the hardware store, buy a light bulb, screw it in, and it doesn't work? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so you've had bad new parts, right? Right. You know what new stands for, right? Never, right. never ever worked. So, you know, okay. it's, it's, <laughs> it's even worse on used parts. Here's a case where we took used parts. Airbag parts, safety components, life and death, Donna in an accident, God forbid, and we gotta count on these things to work and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna you know, value Donna's life in a little Mazda Miata, which they're great cars, but they're kinda of like the size of a pregnant roller skate going down the highway and you wanna make sure if you have an accident you survive. Um exactly. no, no, nothing but the best here, kiddo. You know what? This is this is where I draw the line. I've never installed a used airbag, and I never will install a used airbag simply because I want to know and I want to give the customer the best possible chance of survival. I like all my customers. I don't work for people I don't like. 
Um, well, it was my understanding they don't make the parts for this Miata anymore. Well, so that they have to use these aftermarket things. Is that not right? That may be the case. I would have to look into that. But if Mazda doesn't make the parts anymore, then your question to the dealer is going to be, hey, if I need an airbag, how are you going to get me one if you don't make the parts anymore? Do they have a source for it? That's a valid That's a valid question. I would bring that up okay. before I laid out my $100 for a diagnosis. Because, okay. you know, if it's $100, you know, if it's $100 for a diagnosis only to tell you, yep, it needs an airbag. Can't get you one of those, but we know what it is. Um, you know, we had a, I had a call from the shop yesterday late in the afternoon. A fella called me up and he was asking me a question about something. He says, the engine's making noise. I think I need an engine. Can you diagnose it? Sure, I can diagnose it. I don't do engine work anymore, but I'll be glad to diagnose it. I was honest with him right up front. I told him exactly what was going on. Uh, you know what? I don't need the diagnostic fee to go into retirement someday because uh, I'm not going to mislead anybody. So ask that question to the dealership. Ask them, hey, if you diagnose this, can you get me parts? What parts are available? What do you think the odds are of you being able to repair this? But, you know, understand, used parts, he's changed the configuration. He's changed the formula. It could have been a connection issue. It could have been a wiring harness issue. There's a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas here. And by all means, I would start with a solid diagnosis by a competent tech and work your way out from there. Donna, I want to hear how this ends. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to close this conversation by saying send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. Let me know where this stands as things unfold, and I'll do my best to stay up on it along with everybody else. But uh, I want to see where this goes, and uh, I'll do my best to guide you from my seat here. Good luck to you. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. We're back to close it out right after this. Welcome back. We're on Indian the Car Doctor. Let's real quick get over and talk to Paul, Long Island, New York. Paul, you're on with the Car Doctor. we got about three and a half minutes, baby. What's going on? Okay, Ron, a 2001 S10 Chevy pickup, ABS code CO265. Okay. The only thing I checked so far, I saw it on Google, is the ground wire from the module is up on the uh, radiator support. Yeah. Um, all rusted up, and I cut that wire back until I found a good piece of wire in there and just remounted that ground up on the firewall. And that made, and that made that, no difference? No difference. Okay. Um, there is a procedure you can go through where they want you to test uh, the EBCM power and grounds and dealing with a headlamp, and um, they want you to ohm a couple of things, the BMPV, the, the uh, pump modulator valve motor, and um, it, it's very common for these to be a bad EBCM, the electronic brake control module. Okay. That's, that's not out of the realm. If you shoot me your email, okay. uh, I'm sorry, if you shoot me an email, Paul, uh, Ron at cardoctorshow.com, because it's kind of involved, I'll uh, try to get to it. Um, I'll get to it tonight because I'm going to be tied up all week, and I'll shoot you okay. back a test procedure. Um, it's a little involved. You've got to be able to use a DVOM. You may need a scan tool and such. But don't rule out that this has a bad electronic brake control module. I've seen this as a very common fault. Okay. So, uh, you know, be mindful of that, and, um, you know, that'll probably do it for you. All right, sir? Good. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. You take good take care. You. I look forward to hearing from you. Um, yeah, not an uncommon fault that uh, the EBCMs, the electronic brake control modules on that vintage, those vehicles uh, did fail. So um, just something uh, 
little tougher to diagnose in my last uh, two minutes here. But what I can do in the last two minutes is I want to talk a little bit about Labor Day weekend because I'm kind of looking forward to this. Labor Day weekend, Saturday, September 5th, the car doctor is going to be at the Sheridan Crossroads in Mawa, New Jersey. Here today, gone to Mawa, as I always say. And the radio show, we're going to be doing the national show Saturday, like we always do, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. There's 1,000 cars. There's four funny cars. There's 10,000 hot rods. I'm sorry, 10,000 horsepower in those four hot rods and those four funny cars that will be there. Uh, Butch Patrick will be there. Remember Eddie Munster? Uh, he'll be hanging around. And um, all sorts of things going on. We're going to be doing the show. We will be in front of the hotel at the Sheridan Crossroads. They showed us our spot this morning. I'm planning on bringing the hot rod. So if you want to see the 55, that'll be with me. Big Tony will be with me. Tom Ray will be with me. Fast Harry will be coming out in the sunlight. He will be with me. So it's an event worth coming out that September the 5th, Labor Day weekend coming up. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor watching the hands of the great Favad tick by. Till the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. Man,